this past summer, I heard some stories about people com- sort of complaining about wooden nets that they they break them all the time, and that that's why they choose carbon fiber. So I just couldn't believe that these nets were were breaking on people. So I decided to do some tests. So I take a net and I'd go up into the woods and I'd run and I purposely jump and fall on roots and now the, the net wouldn't break. So then I'd smack it a little bit on the ground and now it still wouldn't break. So I decided the ultimate test would be to drop one of my nets out of an airplane. And uh, luckily I live next to an old grass airfield and we have a lot of small airplanes around here. So we hooked up with a pilot and he carried my net up 500 feet in the air and dropped it out of an airplane and it landed and sure enough it did not break and uh so when people say that wood nets are are very they're not sturdy and they're not durable that's at least my nets north kill tackle nets are definitely strong you can drop it out of an airplane it's so strong and we have a video of that on my facebook page and uh you can see how excited i am and you can get a chuckle for yourself by watching it Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Well, we're super stoked this week on the podcast because we just exceeded 30,000 downloads. Thanks so much, guys, for, for tuning in wherever you're at. Really appreciate it. We'll let you know where the top five, six cities are this week for downloads on the podcast. Also on deck, we've got Chris Ritter. Chris is out of Bethel, PA. He's well known for his custom wood landing nets. We're going to find out all about North Kill Tackle, Chris's fly fishing story and what he's been up to. Uh, at the base of the Blue Mountains. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. want to let you know that the podcast is brought to you by the folks at the Fly Crate. Since 2015, the Fly Crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques and provide unique fly fishing flies, gear, and tackle. Also, the Fly Crate is an American-owned company committed to helping USA veterans by dedicating 2% of sales to Project Healing Waters. So the top few cities uh, this week for downloads, Nelson, British Columbia. We have Vancouver, Washington, Victoria, B.C., Newtown, Connecticut, Boise, Idaho, and Silver Springs, Maryland. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. Really appreciate it. We're going to take you out to Pennsylvania. We've got Chris Ritter on the line from North Kill Tackle. He's out of Bethel, well-known for their custom wood landing nets, uh, handmade in Berks County, P.A., uh, fly rods, accessories, fly boxes. He does a blog, an avid fly fisher. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast tonight. I appreciate you getting me on the show. Absolutely. So um, just a couple of questions. We'll get into North Kill Tackle and, and the good stuff that you're up to. I, I just I want to take it back to your roots to kick things off. How did you come to discover fly fishing? Like, where did it start for you, Chris? Uh, well, growing up, Mark, I grew up in the suburbs. And I wasn't an outdoorsman. I didn't discover fishing at all until I was in college. And I'm four years old now, so I was going to college in the late 90s. And a couple of my roommates at one point thought it was going to be a good idea if we grabbed a few six-packs and went to the bank and fished for trout. And while they got drunk, I was fortunate enough to catch my first trout. I caught it on a power bait, 
and I evolved into using mealworms. Then I evolved into using spinners, and it, uh, it just became too easy for me to catch fish. So I decided to pick up fly fishing around 2002, and uh, I really got my intro by taking a fly tying class at a local library. And from there, I bought my first rod and absolutely sucked. And eventually I got sort of got the hang of things. Uh, but then from around 2002 to 2015, I just was a spin fisherman and uh, kind of forgot about the fly rod. But something called me one day and I, I picked it up, caught a few more trout on the fly rod. And for me, there's absolutely nothing better than catching trout on uh, a fly rod. Yeah, absolutely. It's a different, it is a different feeling, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm like you, I, I, I was spin fishing for years and uh, worm and bobber, you name it, bait, whatever, whatever type of water I was on, depending, but there's definitely a lot of uh, open face reels and, and like those old Zebcos and, and whatnot. <laughs> there were a lot of rats nests in those, but when you get into the fly fishing and you catch your first trout or you catch a few fish on a fly rod, you feel more in touch with things, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's you're you're right on the money there. I've caught lots of big fish on on spinning reels, but yeah, it's something about cat, even you know even just small natives here in Pennsylvania. It's just a rush to catch. I mean, nature's truest beauty to find wild fish. It's it's just so exciting for me. Those sure are gems of fish you've got in in your state. Those those little I see those beautiful little brookie photos all the time on social <laughs> media, and I think, man. They're so pretty, but it must must be challenging to photograph. They're, they're quite small. They are quite small. In fact, uh, some of the nets that I made make I have to use uh, smaller smaller holes in the bag so that they don't slide through the little holes. Uh, that was one of the reasons why I picked the net the, the net bags that I ultimately chose. But they are absolutely gorgeous, and and you know I'd rather catch I'd rather catch one small native trout that might be I don't know four inches in length than catch ten. Yeah, yeah, I hear you on that. So we'll talk about your nets, and we'll talk about North Kill Tackle and, and, and what you're up to with that. Uh, you're just telling us a little bit about your history, and I'm curious, like, is there somebody that you learned from or were influenced by, or, were you, you know, did you have to do some research on, on fly fishing in general, or how did you come to it? I would say that I'm probably maybe 80% self-taught. I was real shy growing up and uh, right after college, so I was I was really intimidated to ask questions at the local fly shops. So uh, this was sort of before. I mean, YouTube was a thing, I believe, but it wasn't really active. So I just kind of went out onto the water and just made a mess of my line, got totally frustrated. But again, for some reason, I just kept coming back to it, and it was eventually things clicked almost overnight, and uh, I started to be able to feel what the line was doing when I'm casting, and uh, my tying got a whole lot better, so my fly started to look decent, and uh, things just mm. came together. So tell me, Chris, the story then, how you came to start your business, North Kill Tackle. How, <laughs> did, how did that develop? I was at a local fly shop. And uh, was just browsing. I wasn't there specifically for a net, but I was browsing all the offerings that they had there. And I came across their section of nets. And I saw some of their higher-end factory nets. And uh, I couldn't justify the price. And I thought I could easily make something like that. And uh, I think a couple weeks later, I had my first mold. And I was cutting strips of ash to make my first net ash and uh, oak it was my first net 
And uh, it turned out that it's a little bit more difficult than I thought it was going to be, but uh, <laughs> I stuck with that just like I stuck with fly fishing. And uh, I think the product's evolved, product has evolved quite a bit since, since uh, I first dabbled with net making. I, it always makes sense to me, though, that a tackle company like what what you have starts with one product it starts with one thing doing that one thing right and after that everything kind of branches is, is that how it went for you chris that's exactly how i went i was doing fly shows and local fishermen flea markets and i was you know i had i spent the money for tables and and was putting in the time at the tables and i thought well why not start selling something that i don't have any time wrapped up in i can i can sell some flies or fly boxes uh fly tying accessories so i'm i'm slowly branching out into what i'm offering and uh yeah like you said it <laughs> started as nets and now we have a a real very modest little fly shop online right now so let's talk about these nets in detail i'm curious about the types of wood you're using the types of mesh you're using like what are is a lot of this custom work or is there kind of um, some meat and potatoes of the net business? Dial me in on that. <laughs> yeah, we, we have uh, a three standard offerings. We have a scout net, which is a 42 inch circumference net. It's your, it's your classic trout net. And uh, that the standard scout comes in ash and walnut, but then we decided, or I decided to offer some premium wood species. And we also stabilize wood handles. So uh, when you stabilize wood, you actually remove all of the moisture and all of the air from the wood. And then through vacuum and and, uh, heat curing, uh, you inject resin. And that essentially, it really basically turns the wood into almost plastic. Uh, But the the best part about it is that it's dimensionally stable, 100% waterproof. And uh, it's just, it's going to just last for generations and generations. Those scout nets, they have a they have an eight inch handle, and then we have something called a guide net, which is the same hoop but a longer handle. So people who have trouble bending over, or maybe they're fishing from a kayak, or like the name implies, if they're a guide or fishing with a buddy, it's easier for them to reach over and, and scoop a fish up. What's your go to net on on your home waters? Oh, I have a little scout. Yeah, I have a little scout, and uh, it's one of the first ones I made. It's quarter sawn oak and walnut. It's been through quite a lot of abuse, but it still has a pretty good shine, and uh, I'm quite proud of that thing. <laughs> Can you walk us through that process a little bit? Like, I get, I get, you're you're drying it somehow. Is it a, like how do you dry the wood? How do you shape the wood? How 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 do you? Um, is it like uh, glued together in, in a? It, I've all, I don't I know nothing about building nets. Okay, well there's there's a few ways that you can do it, but the way I do it is I use uh, laminated wood on the hoop. So that's that's the, where the real difficulty comes in is actually bending wood uh, in a in a tight radius. So to to get it to bend, I have to steam strips. I cut strips that are an eighth inch thick, and then usually around seventy two inches long, uh, and that'll get me all the way around my my form. I'll steam the wood for, depending on the species, it's, it's usually around 20 minutes. And since it's thin, uh, once you pull it out of the steamer, it's like spaghetti. I mean, it, it'll just wrap around pretty much anything. Uh, so the, so the initial step is to just get that preliminary bend. So I have a mold I put those, those hot steaming strips on and uh, I tie them off and then I let them cool and dry overnight. When I release the, I actually use little compression straps for 
for that. And when I release that the next day, it retains, there's some spring back, but for the most part, it retains that, that hoop shape. Hmm. From, from there, I'll cut the center part of the handle and then it's back to the molds where I then glue, glue each strip together and then glue it onto the handle. The glue I use, uh, a lot of people I know use type on three to waterproof wood glue. I don't, I, I don't think that the, it sets up too quickly for me. So I use, uh, an old school sort of plastic resin glue. And, uh, that gives me a longer working time. It's a big mess by the end of it. I'm very, my hands are a huge mess and um, I actually get sweaty and tired out cause I use compression straps to keep everything together. So they're just hmm. old tire inner tubes. I cut them into strips and pull and pull and pull and just wrap, wrap, wrap until, uh, everything is, looks like a mummy. And, uh, I can't, I, I love hearing you talk about this because it's like, like for me, there's so much technology in fly fishing, but when we get to the old, like when we talk to a, a, a person that's crafting bamboo rods or crafting nets, like to me, that's really exciting. You're making something from nature. I, I love hearing you talk about it. So keep, keep, keep going. What's the next step? <laughs> well, I like to say that uh, my nets have personality where you, you, where some of these higher end, very common carbon fiber nets, everybody's got one and they all look exactly the same. And with a hand-built net like mine, you're going to get little deviations. Even if I use the exact same kind of wood, there's still going to be different grain patterns. There's going to be, you know, just, mm-hmm. just, just character built into it. So uh, that's how I do the basic glue-up process. When it comes out of the glue mold, it, it, it looks like an absolute mess. There's glue, dried glue sticking out of the, the edges. Some of the wood doesn't line up. So then I have to put it through a, a drum sander. And... Uh, at that point, I get its thickness usually between three quarters of an inch to seven eighths of an inch thick, and uh, from there it's just more sanding and shaping, sanding and shaping, uh, and then the final process is installing a little. There's a little uh, channel where the 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 Dacron cord that I use to lace in the bag. Uh, I got I got to mill that little channel, and. Uh, the, I guess the final step in the whole process is to lace in a net bag. But before we get to that, we have to apply a finish. And I offer two finishes. One is an epoxy finish, and it looks like uh, almost like glass. It's super shiny, very smooth. Uh, a lot of people really enjoy that. However, I've had some requests. That people just don't like the plasticky look of that epoxy finish. So I, I have an oil finish as well. So that's all hand rubbed, and I use a special secret blend of chemicals that i've that i've come up with to make that finish perfect a special secret blend okay so yeah. then is this kind of more of a satin finish chris yeah yeah there's yeah, exactly yeah no gloss it's uh well i could it, i could see that being beneficial we don't want to scare the fish especially yeah. with the net yeah i had one <laughs> i had one customer i offer a lifetime warranty on all my nets and a 30-day money-back guarantee and i sold Last year, I sold a guy a net, and uh, he called me. He was all sheepish, and he said, you know, the epoxy look just isn't, isn't for me. And, and I thanked him profusely. I, I told him, I don't, want, I don't want anybody out there to be unhappy with the nets that I provide, so I'll be happy to uh, take the net back. And then we hooked him up with the oil finish, and he was happy as can be. <laughs> well, it sounds like a, a works of art for sure, and I know it's kind of, what your company was founded on. Tell us what else you're up to. I, n- I noticed you had some fly rods. 
I want to, in addition to the, the landing nets, I wanted to do custom fly rods. Uh, I, I'll be perfectly honest. I do not enjoy making fly rods as much as I enjoy making the landing nets, <laughs> even though the profit That's margins honest. are higher on the rods. <laughs> uh, hmm. But we, we still offer them. It's just not our specialty. Uh, but in addition to the, the landing nets and rods, we have uh, rod sleeves, rod tubes, plenty of flies. We carry tacky fly boxes. We have a lot of loon fly fishing accessories, you know, floatants, sinkets, that sort of stuff, ice off base. Yeah. Um, and then, and then we also carry a, a few fire hole hooks, and we're getting some some of their beads in as well. Probably later this week, I'll have those up on my website. I noticed the two the two main rods that I I noticed were well, it was a jack nymph rod and then a, a smaller seven foot six uh, three weight. Uh, what, yep. what kind of blanks are, are your rods made from? I'm getting those from Proof Fly Fishing. So uh, yep. I forget actually where Proof is located, but uh, super helpful staff there. Uh, you, they're very, very responsive to, to email. Uh, they sell everything from the blanks to uh, a full kit, or if you just want to buy guides and real feet, they can, uh, they can set you up with whatever you need. Uh, but yeah, the Czech nymph rod was something. Once I started your nymphing, I thought, I think this is something that we carry because I absolutely love the that style. So that's probably my favorite rod. And what what kind of you know is this a graphite modulus? What, what type of like what are these blanks actually? Um, can you describe them a little more for me? Yeah, yeah, they're graphite and uh, proof. I can't get. Uh, the glass rods as well, but right now I'm just focusing on the uh, the, uh, the graphite that they have. Mm-hmm. And then same. So with your uh, your smaller rod, your four piece uh, three weight seven foot six, is that a uh, similar type of blank, or is that a little uh, softer action? What's that like? Action uh, seven foot six rod. You know that's perfect for the little tiny streams around here. Uh, with the three in Pennsylvania, it's it's perfectly capable of catching virtually any size trout in, in eastern Pennsylvania or southeast Pennsylvania where I'm located. Uh, that one has been pretty popular, but uh, yeah, if, if it's me, um, at this point in my fly fishing career, I'm still going to go back to the check name front. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a game changer for sure. And I, I know I talked to a lot of people in PA that that's, that's their go-to style of fishing for sure. Yeah, I'm in a fly tying group and there's a lot of old school old guys, you know, 80 years old, late seventies. And I talk about your own scene and they just shake their heads because they're all dry fly guys. <laughs> but if we went fishing together, I'd be the guy catching fish a lot of times and they, they'd be skunked out. <laughs> well, it's, I, I know I need to learn some new techniques and adapt because I, I mean, even something like spay casting, I haven't even ventured into that. I, I, I find there's so much to learn with just fly tying, fly casting, anything to do with fly fishing that it, it can go so many different avenues, right? You just got to find your passion, go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. Rabbit hole is right. I wanted to, uh, each year I wanted to focus on a different style. You know, one year I wanted to just do wet flies the whole season, just force myself to use wet flies. Uh, and then I got stuck on Yoro for a couple of years. And then this year, I think I'm finally going to focus on dry flies this spring and just say, it doesn't matter what the conditions are, even if they're not rising, I'm just sticking with it. That way I can, you know, just kind of perfect the craft of casting, presentation, line control, and, and just build my arsenal that way. Yeah, 
That's that's the best way to learn, isn't it? And then, like you say, when you're having maybe a slightly tough day, you stick with it. Usually it turns around, right? You know, if you put enough hours in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, beginner fly fisherman. It's just, you just stick with it and stick with it. And then one day everything clicks. So that's, <laughs> that's really how I'm looking at it. That way, down the road, I certainly plan to be fly fishing for decades to come. So down the road, when I have all of my, you know, all my A games ready, I'll be ready for whatever scenario is, is needed. We're chatting today with Chris Ritter from North Kill Tackle out of Bethel, PA. Can I uh, throw a few rapid-fire questions at you? Okay. Favorite tunes to listen to on the way to the water? I would probably have some Rolling Stones playing. Nice. Retro. Yeah. One fly pattern that you just can't live without? Uh, George Daniel makes a, 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 what's called a Black Death. It's a stone fly pattern with uh, CDC as a collar. Favorite place to talk fly fishing, coffee shop, uh, fly shop, a local watering hole. Where, where's your go-to? Uh, definitely my fly tying club. Like I mentioned, those old timers, they give me, they give me the business and get a chuckle out of things that I'm doing. But if I'm quiet long enough, I can gain a lot of information from all their wisdom. Biggest lesson you have learned in this fly fishing journey. Oof. Um, stick with it. <laughs> because uh, no matter what it is from line control to tying uh you stick with it eventually you'll get it that's well put i was thinking that you seem like a guy that sticks with it from what you're just describing your fly fishing experience yeah. Pe- penguins flyers stealers or pirates toronto maple leaf oh come on yeah yeah honestly what? What? the only sport i follow uh is hockey and that's because in 1992 or three, I played Blades yep. of Steel on Nintendo, and I was at the time a Dodgers fan, so I picked the blue team to play, and that was the Maple Leafs. So <laughs> one thing led to another. I became an insanely rabid Leafs fan. Uh, luckily, I jumped in in 92, 93 when they had some good seasons. Or, uh, yeah, and then uh, it's been a lot of pain and suffering ever since. Well, I got a lot of buddies that are Leafs fans. Trust me, I, I hear about it all the time. <laughs> Yeah, um, Leafs Nation is everywhere. <laughs> name name a couple of favorite movies that you've seen, and they don't have to be recent, just a couple of go-tos. Uh, Gladiator and Moneyball, any day of the week. Oh, I love Moneyball. Yeah. yeah Gladiator's yeah. good. I, I just find it a little a little sad at the end, but I'll tell you what, that Moneyball, I, I've, I, how many times you watch Moneyball? I bet I've watched that uh, 15 times. Read the book twice. <laughs> nice. Best job you've ever had? I was a park ranger at the uh, Army Corps of Engineers Lake, and uh, I did that when I was in my early 20s. So we got like full federal benefits, and it was just an insane job for a 22-year-old to have. Best fly fishing location you personally have ever been? Um, The mountains just to the west of Bishop, California in the eastern Sierras. When you're not fly fishing, you're usually doing what? Playing with my kids um, cool. and wood, doing some other woodworking. Right on. That's, that's good stuff. Uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of harness your inner artist here. I like to um, ask my guests to kind of paint a picture of your perfect day on the water. So if you could kind of draw up a scenario, you're heading out the door, 
you know, what time of day is it? What type of water are you hitting? What are you chasing? Kind of walk us through that a little bit. Perfect day would probably start before sunrise. I would go on a small backpacking trip. Uh, maybe it will say out west since we're just coming up with the perfect. And uh, say I put in 10 miles of backpacking and then I set up on a medium-sized stream fish for some sort of trout and finish the evening off post sunset with a campfire and a cold beer. Nice. What kind of beer? Uh, right now, uh, wheat beer. I'm into wheat beers right now. Who garden yeah. is what, what I'm currently my go-to wheat. Pennsylvania is pretty big beer state. Is it not? Well, it's, of course it is. There's a stupid question. Oh, I just yeah. realized what I was saying. The, the craft brew scene here is, uh, <laughs> is pretty high end. Yeah. It's popular. <laughs> Yeah, well, get, let's get back to fishing. Yeah, I like what you said there. That sounds like a, a pretty darn good day to me. If if there is something in the sport or the pastime, and people sometimes get mad at me for saying sport, is fly fishing a sport? I do struggle with that. Let's say pastime. The pastime of fly fishing, is there something, Chris, you think we could do better or change, or is there something that irks you maybe a little bit? Um, I, I don't know that irk is the right word, but I've... Up until really just recently, I've always been intimidated when going into fly shops. And it's not so much the that the staff is, is unhelpful. It's just that there's so much information. It's Some of the stuff can be so expensive. And for some, some, a newbie or really an intermediate level person, you know, I just find, it, I find that big time fly shops can be very intimidating. Um, I think that also if there was some sort of formal mentorship program where, it, you know, it wouldn't have to be, you got to go fishing with this guy 12 for 15 times, just somebody to bounce an email off of uh, questions, uh, just the basics, you know, what kind of line should I use in this situation or what kind of tippet, what kind of presentation, what fly. Uh, I think if there was some sort of formal mentorship program, I think that we could definitely increase the numbers of fly fishermen in the country. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. When, when I was, uh, you know, I'm 50, when I was, uh, you know, in my early twenties, I was intimidated walking into fly shops and I worked in one in my, in my, in my later twenties. And, and I, I always picked up on that vibe when people are walking in, it's kind of like, they're kind of giving you sideways. Look, it's like, I'm here to spend money. Yeah. <laughs> come, yeah. Yeah. They're come on in, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But you're right. But I think I think it's gotten a lot better from what I've seen in shops that I I I haven't I haven't felt that feeling in the fly shop in probably 20 years to be honest. Good. But but yeah, I I, I totally agree with you 100%. There's something there. Um have you got any crazy fish stories you could share with us and I know this is a big question, but is there anything that's kind of weird or wonderful that's happened to you in your time on the water? Um I guess the craziest story would be the the absolute first fish that I caught, I mentioned that I, I, my buddies were getting drunk while I was fishing. Um, I caught the fish. So, so uh, let me see if I can explain this. You know, you know, snelled hooks, you buy a pack yep. of snelled hooks and they have that little loop on the end. Um, so the fish that I caught had a hook stuck in his belly and the snelled hook was the, the line was sticking outside of the fish's body. So it was just like wiggling, I guess, back by its tail. Well, my hook actually went in the hole of that snelled hook line. So I didn't, my fish, the fish that I caught didn't eat it. I actually caught that fish 
by getting my hook caught in that snelled hook loop. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. a one in a trillion chance, and and I did it. It was my first fish. Thank God I did that, or else I would have. I never would have stuck with it. <laughs> that is hilarious. Like yeah. Yeah, that's like that's like winning the lottery. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty slim pickings there. Yeah, yeah. At the time, I was just like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. And then after a little while, I realized just how just how crazy that was. <laughs> Aside from that, I mean, there's been countless situations where I've been fishing and and you know I look up and there's there's deer there or there's fox. There's I've stumbled onto coyotes even. Um, just the interaction with wildlife. I absolutely love fishing in the winter, and I think there's nothing better than getting on the water. And then all of a sudden it starts to snow heavily. I think that's just a beautiful scene, especially, you know, throw, throw a deer in there and snow and in the middle of winter. And, and that's Nirvana for me. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's one thing I think that is amazing about fly fishing is it gets you, it gets you in touch with nature more than, than a lot of activities I can think of. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've fallen in a few times and that really got me in touch with nature. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, those waders start filling up. Next thing you're floating. Yeah, not good. So do you are you one of those guys too in the summers where you just kind of shorts and, and, and running shoes or are you guys are you mostly fishing waders where you're at? I'm waders up until late June and then I switch over to shorts until probably mid September. But yeah. uh I don't wear sneakers in the water because I, I just slip way too much. So I you know, I have those neoprene socks and I'll still wear my my regular wading boots get, keep me stable. Are you fishing for primarily brookies, Chris, or are you, are you fishing for other species? Are you fishing? What, what kind of describe the waters that you're fishing here in Pennsylvania? There's small streams. Most of them are stocked. Uh, however, the many of the streams that I go to that hold wild populations will be brooks and brown trout. And, uh, they can be pretty numerous. There's not too many areas that I go to here that have wild, a wild rainbow population, but, uh, out in New Jersey, there's an area that I've, that I've been to that carries, uh, carries that, <laughs> that holds wild rainbows. Those are always nice to catch too. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you dial us in on how people can get a hold of you at North Kill Tackle, check out your, your beautiful landing nets, uh, fly rods, accessories, uh, your blog, uh, what's the best place to uh, find you at? Well, my website is northkilltackle.com. Uh, my email is chris at northkilltackle.com. I'm on Instagram as northkilltackle. And then, of course, Facebook as well. You just search for northkilltackle and we'll pop right up. Good stuff. Hey, thanks so much for taking my call today, Chris. I really appreciate it. Again, thank you for having me. It's It's truly an honor. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. We've been chatting today with Chris Ritter from North Kill Tackle out of Bethel, PA. Check out their custom wood landing nets online, handmade in Berks County, PA. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.